What's up and welcome to the show. If you have ever wanted to take a stand, if you have been called to take on a big mission in life, maybe you want to make an impact, this episode is not one you want to miss. This is a really powerful conversation had with Dr. Anthony Balduzzi. Not only does he have a lot of success, but this is a wise individual. You'll you'll hear that in our interview. He's a health and weight loss expert. He's also the founder of the Fit Father Project and the Fit Mother Project. So this is leading health and weight programs for busy men and women over 40. He's got dual degrees in nutrition and neuroscience from the University of Pennsylvania, a doctorate in naturopathic medicine, and is a former national champion bodybuilder. Anthony has a wealth of knowledge. And this is both in the field and in academia, a really awesome merging of two places. He's helped over 60,000 families, over 100 countries lose weight and get healthy. And I can tell you that this particular conversation has been one of the most inspiring that I've had to date. The idea of taking a stand and, and pledging for what you believe in is one we can all learn from. Welcome to the show, Dr. Anthony Balduzzi. Welcome, everybody. Help me in sending a loud, although silent because you're on the other side of the podcast, applause to our next guest, Anthony. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Applause received. <laughs> um, I like that. I think all podcasts should start with that yeah. because in a sense, it is a, a pleasure to be here and an honor to be celebrating this conversation that's about to come and in everything that I share in my life journey. I'm pumped up. Dude, it's it's cool. If you're, if you're tuned in, Anthony and I are, are having this conversation on basically our last work day of the year. It's the last event of the day. So this is this is like my last of the year interaction. And that is that's just significant to our history, which we could talk a little bit about. But dude, it's great to share this with you. It really is. And I think um, just even taking a time in our lives to maybe recognize the moments that are special and just taking a moment to pause, like that adds a lot of just meaning to our lives. And so I know that'll be a theme as we go into today's convo. What what strikes me first in reflecting back on how we've met, uh, the friendship that we've built, and even the anchoring point in this conversation, y- you and I have essentially walked through some very significant change, like hand in hand almost, experiencing the same things. And I, I take no discount of how special that is, of how, how unique that is. Uh, and I think I'd like to just start with with asking a very simple question. Why do we fear change like so much? Change feels so scary to us all. And I'm curious where where your mindset is now after having weathered a lot of different changes in just a year, year and a half. Well, I, I think I want to even take the the noun of that sentence. You said, why do we fear change? And I want to get philosophical immediately because I think it's the most true answer. I think there is a part of us that fears change. Mm. But there's also a part of us that knows that the change is inevitable, that is happening, that that is our path forward. And I suppose how we even think of ourselves, or we're thinking of ourselves as the part that is fearful, I don't believe that's the whole picture. And I share that because this year, and I'll I'll give some some high-level details so we have some context to talk, I've gone through tremendous changes with my business, looking to take it to the next level. I've experienced cash flow issues, hiring, team stuff, and and just like looking for the next level of offering, service, business model, a lot of change on that front. And this year, I've also navigated a divorce with a two-year-old daughter. And during this period of time, there was absolutely a part of me that was fearful of change, but there was also a part of me that knew that this must happen, that these things are unfolding. And that's the part of me that I root in is trust. So for someone who doesn't necessarily have access to that part of them that feels trusting in this change process, I would offer that we fear change because we're identified with a part of us that's stuck in fear. We're identified with a part that's stuck in this contraction of wanting to control. And that's a, that's a, like a duality of, of control and surrender that we play with at every stage of our lives. 
And particularly in these big transition moments when things are changing up logistically, environmentally, this dichotomy becomes very important and very present. And I think the only way to navigate change is to loosen the grip, Mm. to go into more trust and faith and surrender, to know that not everything is in your control and that you can kind of surrender in. And then the fear starts to dissipate a little bit more. Um, and it gets kind of replaced in, in more faith and trust. So that's my initial answer to that. If, if you're listening, you better buckle up your fucking belt, man. We're getting, we're getting deep and we're getting there fast. So, so trust in self is a concept that I, I love to, to dig in a little bit on. When, when I think of trust in self, I think of these little decisions, these micro choices that, that affirm, that show me evidence that, that I can handle it, Aaron can handle it. Or even if there's a disagreement that I can't handle it or belief that I can't handle it, that I can get to the other side of it. Or I can manage, if that's a better word. How, how does someone build trust in themselves if it's not already available to them? Well, I think there's many ways. I, I think you can, you can do it by looking in the forward-facing mirror or in the rear-facing mirror. And maybe we'll also talk about the present moment as well, these different access points to our perception of what will happen, what has happened, and what is happening. So there, I think there's three access points to that trust. In the rearview mirror, I think if we truly sat down and we're going through something very hard and challenging right now, a lot of tra- change and transition, we can probably think of other times, of other versions of ourselves that also had big transition moments that then worked out and in fact taught us or gave us some kind of um, unsuspected treasure or reward that we never would have had if we hadn't gone through that. And we can kind of understand and see ourselves through this narrative that all of these big inflection points in our lives lead us to a new level, an unexpected place, and there's goodness there. And that's, that's a tough thing to feel in the moment when things are scary and they feel like they're crumbling. Yeah. But if you look in the rearview mirror, you can, you can see that this has almost always been the case. And I think you listen to inspirational stories like these and what I'll share. I can tell you in my life, as hard as things have been, even the hardest times that things have been, the death of my father, a near, near life-ending accident, and you know, certainly what I just experienced in my divorce have all led to amazing awakenings, openings, uh, next levels, and so I think it's just how life works. It's, it's, it's the challenging stuff is the energy and the catalyst for more. So bringing that understanding from the past into the, fu- into the present and the future is helpful. Into the future, every time you're having change, you're, you're throwing off the shackles of what was your routine, what was your structure, what was your identity. And you're inviting through destabilization, through destruction, the possibility of new creation. This is also natural law. Things must be broken down and softened to be formed into the new. And this is what we're constantly doing. I think this is the experience of like people throughout terms like personal alchemy, like transmuting challenging stuff into our next version. So I think there can be hope and understanding and having a powerful vision for the future about what do I actually want to create? Whether or not I fully believe I can do it yet or even know what exactly that looks like, I know at least the direction to aim myself at. Mm. Quite frankly, I believe all you need is the general direction. You just need to be pointing your boat roughly north. And then I think the details and the navigation of the individual waves, like that all happens through the present. And then in the present, I think the way to navigate change really well, we're on rocky seas, is to be able to be as centered as possible. And I, and I think that's a personal practice. I think it comes down to doing things to tonify your body, keep it healthy, regulate your nervous system, things like prayer and meditation reading and listening to inspiring things to bring you back to that place of trust. So there's like this constant personal purification, optimization routines that happens in the present moment that helps you navigate into that future self. So a couple different access points, but I mean, I think we can use all of them in some way, shape or form. Yeah, those, those feel really exciting to, to separate them too, to, to be able to say, historically, Mm-hmm. I've navigated change despite what I may be telling myself about this particular change, whether that's mm-hmm. you're in a growth plate, you're in a destruction demolition phase, or you are creating a whole new future self to, to work towards. So I love the evidence piece. I really, really love the idea of in the present finding almost anchoring activities that allow mm-hmm. you to Take all of the change, but find your center. Find something yeah. that you can do consistently that, that isn't changing, right? It's like a, the, if there's a hurricane, what can you hold on to so that you're not blown away? Yeah. 
and then really love the the future projection of you know here's here's who I want to become and here's what I want to do and I think I can navigate that I can trust myself because I can see the direction you know yeah. I I think back to some of the the most turbulent times in my life you and I walked through uh, becoming single dads as sing almost like the same time and that was an interesting series of conversations and and that that turbulence in many ways taught me that I could be blown by the wind. I, I feel like it showed me how my lack of grounding was an open sore for me to work on. And as I think about change now, my relationship with change was really cemented in business. So I'm curious to know this. When I think about business, we are constantly forced as entrepreneurs to change. We change our team. Yes. We change our product. We change uh, the goal. We change the way that we communicate our marketing campaign. Like we, it's just mm -hmm. embedded in what it means to <laughs> yeah. be an entrepreneur. So I kind of learned it there. Was that where you learned change, or was there a different relationship or a different experience that really taught you, like I got to navigate change here? I was I was pretty blessed to have had this intense experience where growing up, my dad was quite sick. He he got a terminal brain cancer diagnosis when I was three. He fought for six years and he died when I was nine and he was 42. So I had this really powerful experience of having a loving childhood, yet having this very significant event happen like right in this time when I'm nine, 10, 11, 12, getting into my teens. So I learned to experience a lot of pain, to surrender things that were out of my control, to strengthen my will, to, to exert force and create things in the direction I wanted to. And for me at the time, it was fitness. So... I, that was my first real experience of of navigating change, and I, I'm I'm thankful for that because the discipline I was able to develop through through that experience, and um, I guess you can say toughness, but toughness just really means not that I'm like resisting the power of the hurt, but I've just been in the territory. You've yeah. been in the game. You've had a true heartbreak or a true destabilizing event that actually makes you stronger because you've been there. You've pushed farther into the unknown. So, to your direct question, it was it was first through some I guess personal tragedy. Um, and then business taught me so much. I mean, because business gives it to the change in the context to view as a leader and as what you're creating as a reflection of you as well. And I think yeah. for me, although I don't run like a personal brand business, I run like Fit Father Project and Fit Mother Project, like who I am at every stage of my understanding of health, it gets reflected in our programs, in the content, in the conversations I want to have, who I want to hire, in the programs I want to build in the future. So it's it's pretty cool that all of our creations as ourselves as creators and beings, like are mirroring our level of change and then end up being feedback loops back to us. So I think business is one of the greatest vehicles for personal development. It certainly was for me. Yeah. Um, and I think the one emotion I want to share that I think is emotion or maybe even virtue that's really helpful in change is humility. Because I think change can be very humbling and change often happens. And I think it happened in my life during times and periods where I perhaps got a little prideful or I perhaps thought that mm. things were very solidified. Um, and change humbles you because what you thought was going to be, maybe no longer. And so the way to navigate that is to actually really sit into humility and to soften. And I think that's in the same direction as people say, like surrender, accept, forgive. It's this kind of releasing feeling of emotion where you're not trying to hold on as tightly anymore. And I really keep on going back to this metaphor of like gripping really hard. That's the prideful hand in the air of like, I've conquered the world. And then the change inevitably makes you loosen that grip. So I think mm. humility is something to really go deep into. And then as you rebound out of that change into more solidity, the wisdom then is maintaining a, a, a base of that and not allowing yourself to repeat the same patterns over and over. And not that every change is predicated on pride before the fall. But I think many people can maybe realize that there was some element of that that comes in into their lives. It's kind of a human drama, if you will, that plays out macroscopically and microscopically. Yeah. Oh, man. The, the drama. Absolutely. Well, for, for those of you listening, where, wherever you are, I, I highly recommend that you check out Fit Father Project, Fit Mother Project. Anthony has worked for years to craft in what I see on the outside, and I don't know the whole mechanics of it, but to craft a culture of change internally to help mm -hmm. you, if you are a busy mom or dad, get to a place where your fitness is a bigger priority in your life. And 
that encourages a whole lot of change. So yeah. to dovetail to, to my, my question that's coming up, I, as you build, if you're building an enterprise and you're, you're creating something that you know will change your life, your life and the lives of others, I find that the first pull is like, I want more, right? I, I mm-hmm. want change for me. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurship largely is a, an initially self-perpetuated endeavor. I'm, I'm excited mm-hmm. about what I could create. I can earn more. I don't want limits. I don't want restrictions. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, if you're doing it right, in my opinion, it then becomes bigger than you, right? Mm-hmm. You, you are supporting a team. You're helping them live their dreams out. You're helping them become more activated in who they are and their pursuit of more. You're influencing others. You're helping clients. You're seeing an impact beyond you. And, and then change takes a different format because now you're not, it's not just for you anymore. Yeah. How do you think about change as a leader? Because your, your influence is now really, really wide. You've got thousands, tens of thousands of people who are part of your community and, and are looking for change. And now it's not just change for you anymore. It's got to be change that's bigger than you. So how, how do you think about it from a leadership perspective? I'll say even the process of growing these companies took me from that initial desire that you described, where it, it is, it is, I'll use the word greed, which is the desire for more. And I'm not saying it is a bad greed, but it's a greed that's coming from a place that like you have felt limited in the past. You know, there's more abundance. You feel like you're hitting a ceiling right now. You want to bust through it. You know, mm-hmm. you can. So you work hard and you build. That is like an activating energy that's rooted in a slight experience of lack, but also a belief in your potential and what you want to create and to, to create significance. So like that's part of it. And that, propelled me, I'd say, through the first third to half of my business journey to until until you get to a point where you have created enough of a of enough traction, you've created a really good product, you, you've a service, you, things are starting to work. And now you need to invite more people to put it to, to the table. Mm-hmm. And and these are oftentimes people you're working with or even just going deeper in your experience with the customers and those you serve. Now I'll speak just directly from my experience. There was a critical mass where enough people got into our programs in our community that an emergent property came up. It's no longer just like the thing that I was creating. It was the creation itself now has life. Like the <laughs> members themselves create the culture and they, they are now sharing and communicating. And now while you feel like you're no longer like creating the thing, you're a steward to it. It's like, yes, you created a baby, but the baby is also like its own entity and maybe you're more of a tender to the your child like they're self-propelling force right you're not like doing everything for them and so i think when when the birth of your business gets this next stage now you're you feel like you're taking care of things and that's a slightly different energy than willfully creating it's a little more tending a little more nurturing even Mm -hmm. which is kind of like plays a little more in like the masculine dynamic of like create, create, create. And then the feminine dynamic, which we all have these energies within us to different proportions of nurture, support, slow down, solidify, you know, nourish. Yeah. This is a, that's an energy that comes. And then I think if, 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 if your own internal evolution is growing and mirroring and you do find that, that itch for more, like has been scratched to the point where it's not driving you from lack, I think you now transition into working for these deeper, values, the values of the sake of goodness, of creating goodness in the world, of service could be another word for that. Um, or if it ties to your deepest understandings of what is true in your own self or universal truth or a relationship to God or whatnot, I, I imbibe those values into my work now. So this is how my work has taken the next step with me and my personal evolution is now I'm taking this in. So what does that mean? Well, it means now I'm bringing in these powerful conversations and layering them on top of what I built in version one, two, and three. So version four now has a a deeper discussion. And I think as a leader, to stay connected to what you do, you must speak the truth as you see it. Mm. Speak it clearly and powerfully and continuously push the truth out into your community. Um, And I think that's important because if you continue to grow in a direction and your business and your service is not mirroring you to a certain extent or or like feeling as exactly authentic, like you're going to lose interest or there's going to be some kind of like internal friction. But I think the people that are really powerful leaders and have communities that are on fire are when they're growing in sync with the communities that they're that they're creating. And when they're learning things and upleveling, they're bringing that to the people. And because it's authentic, it resonates. And then the right people attract. And now you have like a lot of generative growth and not as much friction in the experience. 
Mm. Dude, that, that is a big, awesome statement. As a leader, we must continue to speak the truth as we see it. That last part is really interesting to me as we see it. That, that's mm-hmm. where the, it might change. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and like our world right now is, is fragile from the lens of speaking our truth and saying it the way we see it. Yeah. Have, have you struggled to, to like battle the, look, I, I got to say this because it's my truth. Has that had consequences? Like, I think we all yeah. need to know a little bit more about the cost of that. Well, I'll tell you this, like, I'm, I'm just starting this now. And let me, and let me share for, for more specifics. This, we're recording this at the end of December. For my fitness businesses, Fit Father and Fit Mother, January and New Year's is a very important time. It's a time when people are renewing their commitments to their health. There's a lot of energy and interest around it. So this is a time where we really show up big as a brand in our messaging and our community to like give people a container to do this. And yeah. this year, instead of just being like, rah, 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 New Year's resolutions, don't do stuff that doesn't work, Try don't try fitness gimmicks, I'm speaking a deeper message as I see it. And as I see it right now is we have a culture and a society that is not healthy. Like there are so many influences and factors, whether it's addictive social media, processed food, corrupt big industries like big pharma, big food, big tech that are not creating an environment for us that's fostering our health or our values as families uh, and and goodness. We're, We're kind of deviating in a direction that I personally don't like. I don't like it for myself and maybe other people will like it for them, but it doesn't feel authentic in the right kind of connected way of living that appears so true to me. So Mm -hmm. this is the first time where I'm actually stepping up and like bearing all and taking a stand and planting a flag. And what I found actually, and this is funny, and I can't tell you the results of what this is going to be. I do have a very strong intuition. It's going to make a massive splash because it's raw and honest and raw and honest is what's going to cut through a lot of the noise and and the, the... 10 second videos that are everywhere. So that's always a good area to lean in is you ultimately need to get to the point where you're willing to like plant a flag somewhere or step over one side of the line. And that moves you into a movement kind of marketing that is highly compelling to the right kind of people. Right. That is naturally polarizing because it's taking a stand against other things. And what we found through Fit Father and Fit Mother is I think over the last three, four, five years of just building a company and just kind of doing general fitness stuff, we became vanilla. Like we have a good brand, but our messaging just kind of like, we're just in the mire of another, uh, I'd say the best fitness company for dads and moms, but still like just talking about the same things that are in the marketplace where now to differentiate, and it's not for the sake of differentiation, it just so happens to be my path that I'm now driving this community into is we are taking a bigger stand, a broader conversation like above what our certain niches. Okay, so here's an example from some companies. Like like maybe it's like the North Face. They're a, literally a clothing company like any other clothing company, but they have this kind of branding messaging subtext that they speak about adventure. They speak about living a life of like deep purpose and like the 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 soccer mom that wears the Patagonia puffy jacket like was sold in this idea that it's kind of like it's something that's like that's bigger and grander. It's it's a conversation that's elevated above exactly what they do. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're in the in the game of direct transformation like you are. So all of your conversations are inherently very deep in their nature. But if you're not, and let's say you're doing something that is more like selling an exact product or service, I think there's a way to connect the higher level of conversation that's most resonant to you and putting that as the layer on top of the base layer of what you do. As we said. And I think that is going to be really important into the future because the, the bottom layer of the, all this other stuff, like what you do, features, benefits, there are not only thousands or tens of thousands of millions of companies, there's not only generative AI that's going to be able to crank out more of that shit than you'd ever be able to do, but like what they can't replace is your voice, the way you see it, and how you step into leadership and deliver. And I think even courage right now is always going to be compelling. I think right now when we have a culture where there's a lot of people who think, who th- believe things internally, but don't say them, they're going to gravitate towards the people who are willing to say things. Yeah. And it might just give them enough courage to one, take the step and join your products and services, but maybe even tell the truth in, in their own lives and families. And the ripple of that, I think, is unimaginable. The, the idea of taking a stand makes a lot of sense. And, and I hear the, the way you describe that makes me think of the business application and the personal application at the same time, right? It, it has yeah. It has a natural business effect, but the genesis of this is really... Like you, 
right? Mm-hmm. For you to be able to say, I'm going to take a stand and I'm going to share my opinion. The, the, the fear immediately kicks in when I think of take a stand, be polarizing. And one of our, one of our pillars in when we think about the five ways we get in our own way is the fear of exile, that, that we would stay as we are because we don't want to be jettisoned from our communities and the people that, sure. that like us. Has that come up as you think about the emergence into this take a stand and what it means for both you and the business? Um, you know, I, I like this. Yes, on some levels, but I, there's a reason I hadn't said these messages like until now. Mm-hmm. It's because that was enough of a limiting, stabilizing fear for me in the last several years to just do the stuff that was like kind of vanilla, basic, we know works okay. But through through the gift of me going through so many destabilizing changes personally this year, like you get a divorce, okay? I mean, that's obviously personally destabilizing your primary relationship changes, let alone if you have a kid, but it's also a social event. Yes. I mean, like everyone you know, like is now understanding this, learning this. There are feelings that come along with this. Yeah, they're a part of it. Shame, guilt, like wanting to tell somebody, judgment perhaps, self-judgment, forgiveness, healing. Like, And so I leveraged the wave of this deconstruction to kind of get to the like truly like F it. Like it's, I'm so deconstructed. What are we building here? (laughs) What do I actually want to do? So maybe that is like a benefit for if you're going through something intense. It's like the person who has nothing to lose is has the most energy to be able to do this. It's like we hear about these MMA fighters. So it's like, oh, they're only hungry on the way up. Like if you can get to a point where you are in so much change or you have so much hunger there that you you're willing to play the cards fully, dude, that's a superpower. I'll tell you this, like a Fortune 100 company like can't move that nimbly. They can't go ahead and, and make these kind of broad strokes and statements if necessarily if they want to. I mean, maybe some do, but you get my point. Like there's a benefit to being light, nimble, and deconstructed. You can build really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a liquidity to our businesses and, and and really to our lifestyle that I think is part of what attracted me to entrepreneurship is the the elements of mobility and change that I always liked before I was an entrepreneur. I just felt restricted from. Yeah. You know, like I go back to this idea of taking a stand and I think that concept is very attractive. Uh, let, let's take a stand and let's fight. And I'm a big like Marvel buff, so you know you think of like a a Tony Stark, a mm-hmm. Captain America, Iron Man, like these these prolific heroes who, by design, have an angle, right? There's mm-hmm. there's something they stand for, and yet when I think about the things that are available to us as entrepreneurs to stand for, it can be really hard to figure out like, well, where, where's my line? Because we're, we're constantly trying to, to build and nurture. We're, we're trying to hold these things up. We get, we get stuck in our pattern. We, we get in our own way where we're like, we feel kind of cornered to where the, the taking a stand could cost us everything. That, that's what it, that's what it feels like. This could cost me everything. Yeah, and that's not true, but it's partially true, and that's kind of the point. It is, isn't it? It's partially true. Yes, it's like the the whole objective here is to to put ourselves in the line of fire, and by by doing so, indicate the value that this stand has. Whether it's society is sick and we need to make some changes, or it's hey, I, I think you could be a superhero if you learn to do the inner transformative work. Those mm-hmm. are both like. I'm willing to die on the hill for those things. And it, it almost feels like if I stepped into that terrain, I have to shed who I was. I have to let go of for sure. everything. And that part really intrigues me about this stand that you're making. How do you, what are, what are the, the like bits of language that you tell yourself to make sure that you continue to move this forward? That it's not just a one-time thing that it's it's truly a, a rebrand, a new identity as as Anthony emerges into this space. You not just plant the flag, but you allow people to get behind you and hold that line. Well, the way I'm doing it mechanically is I've shot this very powerful video sharing three significant stories of my life. It's wrapped epic. in with wrapped in with this idea of like how I see the world going and that I want something different for my family. And the process of doing that, I think, is going to answer your question is, is 
to go through some kind of process of solidifying the language of what you see is true. Like to actually write it down. Now, whether or not that becomes a video that's shareable, like I'm doing it, it becomes a small book or a blog post or something, a mission statement, a manifesto, is writing that shit down and going through that exercise and, and, and polishing it and refining it and creating a powerful narrative and getting it to the point where it would honestly make you cry. Because I think that's when you know if it can, if it can rouse emotion in you as you read it, listening to powerful music, then you know it's actually striking the chord in your heart and in your feeling that is yes. truly authentic. Yes. Otherwise, it's 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 a part of the truth. It's a logical interpretation of it, but you didn't go quite far enough. And I'll tell you this, when you have an external message that is resonant and consistent with what you feel as internally true to a very high degree, it's never like a perfect translation, but man, we're like 90% of the way there and this feels very right and even nervous for me to say, but like, damn, this I feel this message so truly. Then you start to push that out immediately to your your closer friends and family. And then you start to push it out broader into the world. Mm. And whatever way that needs to be transmitted, I, th- I think one interesting thing I'm, I'm seeing is this even could be a different process than like a marketing campaign, which has a funnel and emails and angle and an ad. Like this is an exercise in more or less creating a powerful congruent message that may or may not have a very direct call to action, but is you actually standing for the message itself, not the outcome that you're hoping that the message achieves. Yeah, It's like primarily for the spreading of the truth and the taking the stand. Stuff will happen secondary, but you got to get it out there. You got to get it out to people. And I think the sharing of it publicly is, is the second part of the birthing of the creation. The creation that you create gets aligned and then get it out into the world. And then you're going to be transformed by the response. And mm. of, all, of all sides, people that deeply resonate with it and now just want to be near you, closer to you. And that, that ultimately will translate to business, products, services, friends, all of this stuff. And then the people that see it differently, I think the ability, and I've realized this, and this is a big theme for the next part of my life, the ability of me to stand and then receive the persecution that will inevitably come and to be open enough in that is the price it takes to be authentic. Damn. And if you can't do that, and I think of like all the great people in history, like the person I look up to the most is Jesus Christ. I mean, talk about an individual of persecution. And I'm sure a lot of the other great people throughout history that you may look up to persecuted. They were persecuted because they were public about their stands. Mm. Martin Luther King persecuted, right? So our ability to tolerate that may be the differentiating factor in our authenticity and our power. And so I think the more we can like actually get to the point where we're like, I'm not only, I don't only, I don't only know it's going to come. I'm ready for it. And I'm not even ready for it. Like I welcome it because I know it's part of the process. It must be because if you don't get the persecution, you haven't stepped out far enough into your authentic edge that is going to tick someone off. Bro, we just found the magic right now. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. So really, really important for you business folks out there. What Anthony just said about not having a call to action is actually much more important. I want to go there real fast. I, I almost hear in that that Dude, this is some cool wisdom that, that you brought up. That in that, the act of taking the stand is the invitation for someone to stand with you. Yes. Like really, really love that. That's so much bigger than it sounds. And the the message about the ability to stand and receive the persecution is ultimately the the activation for all these other invitations that I'm sure you'll get. You know, what, what would you say to someone though that's like, you know, I I want to take a stand. But and and immediately can call out all the 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 costs, right? The the negatives, like my family's going to disown me, or or what have you. And and I I want to think about this from a a lot of different levels because mm-hmm. you know if you have a a big business and you're doing this on a on a large platform where you have a, a, a loud voice, that's one angle. But this could be something as simple as like yeah. we got to change the family tradition, or correct. I'm not going to let you talk to my kid like that, or yes. Hey, this is not an appropriate way to approach the customer service counter. Like, like there's so many ways to have small taking a stands that, yes. that aren't massive proclamations. Yes. I'll share this. I think one one counsel I have is that in taking the stand, you are creating a 
a line, an energetic container, a very direct and powerful message, I would counsel everyone to make sure that message, although strong, is steeped in the background of love and not ego and attack. Mm. Because there is a way to speak hard truth in a way that's calling people up as opposed to shutting and cutting in, in these more negative lower energies that we know have patterns in us that we don't want to propagate into the future. So a, love, a stand can be very strong, but it can also be loving in, in an invitation and a call up as opposed to the tearing down. So be, be mindful of that because I think the ego can creep in to the back door potentially in some of these things and, 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 and then we'll have to deal with the consequences of that as we propagate that into the future. Now, the small stand, and I think when people say, like, the small stand is perfect. Like, I mean, I think we can all probably have a couple people in our in our close relationships, probably family and closest friends, where there's some degree of a stand that could be said. And, and it's probably that you want more, or you want different, or you, you, you there's a new standard that you want to set. Um, and I think having that raw, powerful conversation with somebody, maybe first solidifying your thoughts on paper and getting clear about what you want to do and approaching that would be a a wonderful exercise. We could do that so much next year and that would be great for all of us. The the person's thoughts to say, I want to do this, but like those thoughts are natural. That is the fear. That is the, your current limited perception of yourself. That is propping up all the reasons. And I'll, I'll say this, like I experienced that for a long period of time. There will eventually get to a point, it may not be now, where that voice is no longer significant in the grand scheme of things. Like the cost of not doing it or the pain has gotten so deep from being stuck that you're willing to to cross that chasm. And it might not be right now. Not to be said you couldn't work on your mindset and make it right now and understand that it is the limiting beliefs that are cropping up. And and maybe you could start to tally up the cost of 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 make that cost of what you think it'll take that's insignificant to the cost of not achieving your greatest potential or not mm. standing for what you actually feel is like in integrity and rightness. So like there's some kind of psychological gymnastics you can go through to recognize that that fear is not actually grounded. But I'll also say this, it's possible that you allow that fear to, uh, to govern your behavior for a set period of time. But if it's actually on your heart, if these are actually true things that are on your heart, they're not going to go away. Mm. And you might be listening to this podcast or something else one year from now two years from now. And that calling will still be there, will still be there. And then that nagging aspect of like, I could have done this two years ago might be so strong at that point that you bust through. I say, let's do it now or sooner than later. Um, but I just want to recognize that I think getting to this point of powerful proclamation can take some time. It did for me. Yeah. Um, but once you're there, you know you're ready. Yeah, we're, and I know we're all in our own time. Th- this is also getting out of your own way. Like if you got a message that's on your heart, if if you are at a place where it feels clear and it feels crisp, maybe you've done the work, uh, as Anthony suggested, where you you write out your mission statement, you write out your manifesto, where it is resonant, at that point, you have a confrontation to make, right? You have an inner confrontation. Am I the person that takes the stand, that holds his or her ground and lives true to my values? Or am I the person that lets fear dictate my future and lets fear overrun what I believe to be true. You know, (laughs) like, this is so good. Oh my God. I'll invite distraction too. I think fear is one thing, but distraction is the other thing that that is a symptom of our modern sick culture. Mm. It's like, distraction is a way for us to allow our fears to slip in the back door and not confront it. Like, if you were in a prison cell, a solitary confinement, and you had your manifesto, and nothing to distract you. High likelihood that you ultimately get on board with that. Say, F it, I'm taking a stand for this and you go ahead and do that. But when you're in your house and you have your phone and your Netflix Mm. and your computer and your daily routine and your desire for more greatness in in authenticity and powerful stands and the fear, it's so easy to slip off into just the the daily routine and, and slip back into comfort. And I think people can do that for decades, decades, maybe in their whole lifetime. So I think the the aspect of distraction is a part of what keeps people many, very much stuck because we have the ability to dodge things and not make changes because we have so many accessible, very quick and fleeting comforts 
But the true, true, deep spiritual comfort comes from being authentically expressed and can only be achieved through that route. So it's almost like you're never, you're never going to be full spiritually because you're taking little, little licks of this like thing that's not good for you that just gives you enough to keep on staying in comfort, but never actually makes you make the powerful change. So my, my ask for everyone this next year is to find your way to limit the distractions. Cause I think just changing that environment, whatever it is that distracts you, Cutting that down by 50%, 60%, whatever, is going to help and make it a lot more likely that the stand happens in your life. Man, go back and listen to that twice. There's a, there's a wisdom in that that I want to just reinforce. What, what Anthony just highlighted is that the, the key to performance and growth and you're taking a stand is in cutting, is in deleting not in adding. There's something mm-hmm. really deep about that. My one of my greatest mentors had me do this exercise once. He said, uh, "Aaron, write down everything you want to happen next year." And it was it was actually about this time of year, probably five or six years ago. He's like, "Write down everything you want to happen next year." And I'm like, "Boom!" I had I like I don't know, 15, 16 things. He's like, "All right, try try to get it to 10. And I was like, "Oh, well, that sucks. I've got to now remove all these." Flipping goals that I just worked hard to make. So we jump on a call. He's like, you have your 10? I'm like, yeah. He's like, cool. We're going to go through an exercise. You ready? I'm like, I'm never ready with you. Here we go. So he says, okay, look at your list. Star the like one or two that are most meaningful. So I, I don't remember what they were, but I, I starred as instructed. He says, cross out five. And I'm like, oh, this is uncomfortable already. So it takes me like seven minutes to go through and do the the calculating of, okay, what am I willing to really let go of here? Yeah. We're down to five. He's like, cut it to three. Uh, again, just uncomfortable, uncomfortable. We get down to three and he's like, great. Now you're ready to focus. Cut it down to one. And the, the most interesting part of that, that experience was that neither of the two things that I starred ended up being the one. And if you if you think about this, right? Like cool. this is how we build our year. We're like, here are all yeah. my focuses. These are these are the things that matter the most. But if you drill it all the way down to like, dude, what's the one? What's the thing I'm taking a stand on here? What's the thing I'm willing to die for? What's the thing I'm willing to fight for? You might be surprised that some of the other like, I care about this or this matters to me, they don't survive. There's there's almost <laughs> like you gotta cut a whole lot out and, and cutting yeah. the distractions alone. Can it can change your whole life? It could change your whole life if you are less distracted. What are for sure? It's a law of energy too. I mean, okay, so we have the sun kicks off. You know, this energy that's that's we experience is light and in, in, in infrared radiation. And it's going everywhere in all direction from this flaming orb we call the sun. If we take a magnifying glass, right, and what it does is effectively focuses the beams. That's all a laser is. Like a laser can cut through concrete. It is just a focused beam Mm. of light, of photons. So I mean, you know, I'm just trying to say it's a principle in nature that focus is what actually drives results. And you're also limiting traction. I think that was brilliantly said. So I love that. Comically, I used to use magnifying glass to grill a whole bunch of ants when I was a kid. Uh, (laughs) I apologize to all the ant community out there. Uh, Yeah, man, you know, jovially or not, the, the idea that we've got to cut some stuff out and, and cut those distractions is, is really meaningful. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure this goes in the, sh- in the show notes. We've got a great exercise on focus. It's just a really simple PDF tool that, that might be able to help you. Uh, if, if you want to go to the website, the, the slug is, is rather long, but it's uh, getoutofyourownway.coach slash developing-personal-focus. So that's a mouthful. We'll find a way to make it smoother, but it's a, it's a tool that that you can leverage. Anthony, I, I have recently redefined a lot of words that get thrown into the personal development space a lot. And, and I'd, I'd love your feedback on this mm-hmm. and maybe where you see that someone can can take it and run with it. Focus to me was always like this, like the opposite of ADD. That, that's the way I interpreted it, right? Is, can you put your head down? Can you stay on one task? Can you put your mind to the same thing for an extended period of time? Can you make sure that the thoughts that pop up in your mind have no room inside of your operation? And that that never works for me. 
even if I'm building one company rather than 17, my mind can just go bananas. So a new definition emerged. I don't remember where or when, but that definition was directional efficiency. Focus is directional efficiency. So even if I have all these different things happening, my business, my life, all these elements, the complexity that happens with change, I can at least now start to ensure, am I headed east and only east or all my tires spinning different directions? Mm-hmm. What comes up when you hear that? Because you seem like a very directionally efficient person. Like all your shit goes the same way. You've got one direction and that's the stand you've been making. Is like, I'm going here and I'm going, whether you get in my way or not, but I'm only going one direction. I'm not going 75 directions. I, I love directionally efficient. I mean, because the goal of focus is for us to get things done. Efficiency is the smoothness and like how well that happens. Like the happening ends up being quick with the least amount of effort for most amount of payoff, nice. um, which implies strategy. It implies clear thinking and not just like doing things. So there's a lot of nestled into the idea of like efficiency. And direction is cool because that's, like I was saying, what, I, what feels very true to me is not knowing every step along the path, but knowing the general direction. And that enables you to make aligned decisions because do they fit in this general direction of like generally north, northeast? Yes. Okay, good. Um, but it also gives you the flexibility because stuff will come up. Yeah. Things will shift. New, new information will shift. And it probably gives you the ability to pivot more quickly than if you were like really rigidly tied to a kind of thing. This is something I learned, I think, in the last probably three years is I realized that I had to develop a lot of what I'll call like your first definition, like level one focus to create my initial products and offerings. And that level one focus was helpful to get something up Mm. and good. And thankfully, with enough iterations, it works. Um, But it also trapped me in my mindset of thinking things through that very narrow filter. Like it has to be this way. And I was kind of constrained in my own thinking. Whereas this directional efficiency is kind of like a more elevated thing where there's a, there's a degree of like surveying, not being as nearly attached to the, to the how and what exactly, but to more of like the end aim, which is the success of energy applied in the right values based direction that yields great results. So I'm a fan. I like it a lot as a definition. Um, and I think that the way we can manage our schedules can lend our, ourselves to being successful on a weekly basis. Because I think it's nice to have these lofty, higher-level personal development conversations. And then at the end of the day, it's going to come down to next year, how you manage your week, how you manage your day, yep. like what you get done. So it's like so the rubber really does meet the road. Um, and so a couple of things that just come to mind that might be helpful for people listening is having certain days of the week blocked out where you can actually do really deep work nice. because i think we have a we have a we have a this culture of doing a lot of busy work and it feels productive but it's actually not doing the most productive things like writing a book would be a hard task because you have to sit down and really do stuff but it's a lot easier to answer emails clean up your house and like have a couple meetings with your team right that's more of like the busy work so having days that are focused days versus those more buffer in between days is a very good thing um and yeah, I guess I'll say that. And I think bookends around your day with with your morning and evening routines are very helpful to create state, to shift state, and to do a little like pre-planning. Um, these are these are very helpful things. Yeah, I love that. And I'm curious how you think about business goals to go back to that. Like, are you elevated enough where you can shift and pivot? We want to be directionally efficient and, and find like, okay, we're headed, we're headed east. But now that you've accumulated a, a team, you've built products, you've got a community, you've got success underneath you, you've got some capital where you can deploy. Mm-hmm. H- how do you think about goals? Are they, they hyper, hyper sensitive? Are they short term? Are they just big and sort of more visionary? H- how do you craft them now that you've built something that has an engine that works without you? Well, it's interesting because I think I'm building now goals not just from my vision, but of the shared vision of the team and in relation to different p- key people and, and, uh, like aspects of the business. We have like 
We have a, we have our supplements e-commerce aspect of the business. We have coaching and direct live experiences aspect of the business. We have our online support and customer service aspect, content generation aspect. And like, so now I can create goals in each of those areas, um, and directions. And then the key thing with leadership then is making sure that the people below you take their goals on, take those goals on as their own. So it's a shared buy-in. Yep. And are now the drivers of that. Like leadership ultimately at the highest levels ends up becoming about leverage. It's about being able to empower people, train them, support them in such a way that they can be a force multiplier for you. And so now if you're just setting goals from your vantage point and then trying to impress those upon people, I think you'll get a certain level of buy-in. But now there's this aspect in leadership of a co-creation at a certain stage in business where your goals are co-created with your key people with their interest and their feedback. And I think the nice thing about being the leader on top is like, you ultimately do have the final say, but you have this ability to be a little softer in your presentation, to be very, to not, to not skirt on the vision, like the deep level stuff, like the soul of it, but yes. like the, that, that can be expressed in many, many different ways. And if you have people that are enthusiastic about a certain kind of way or avenue of doing things, I think it's a good thing to lean into. So for example, we have our general manager on our team is named Rob. And Rob used to work for a nonprofit that did service trips um, to build houses and do some kind of like ministry stuff. Um, and Rob had the desire to bring this into the community. It was not one of my top of mind goals to start doing global service trips to build houses. But it was one of my visions that this community of healthy fit people would then go get engaged into actual meaningful service with their hands and their bodies to make the world a better right. place and we give them the opportunity for it. So it seems like this matches. So I empowered Rob and I'm happy to say in two weeks, we're going to be in Belize building a house. What? So it's like, so it's like these things can happen through the visions and dreams of the people below you. And I think that is even a fun spot to get to as a leader is like, how can I build a company where now the people who I've employed and who are with me can bring their dreams to life. Yeah. And now I can support it and have a healthy ecosystem that can do that. So now you're like almost like a dream enabler. You're the big, great dreamer, but then there's the sub dreamers in there. That's a kind of cool concept in my opinion. I, I love this line. The vision can be expressed a number of ways, almost to, to invite change in mm -hmm. the route as long as it takes you to the same place. Uh, yeah. How has that worked if, you know, if, if you're, let's say somebody listening has a company, they are starting to build a team, it's growing, the company's growing, and their, their team may not be accustomed yet to setting their own targets or believing enough in themselves to say like, Hey, I think, I think I have an idea that's great enough to, to implement here to the way that you said that to express the vision. Mm -hmm. How can a leader almost pull out of them the goal without just like installing it themselves and saying like, no, 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 I, I can see that you see what I see. So do what I say. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be a series of conversations. I think the first, the leader needs to create the frame that they're looking to build an organization where they have leadership level people who are empowered in creating, creating from their vantage point. And if that has not been the MO, if people have been more falling in lockstep with the leader's direction and vision, and they're more like been in the, in the habit of being a role player and thinking in that kind of way, it is going to take some time and training. It's not like an overnight flip switch. At least it hasn't been in my experience, unless you're bringing in a new hire that is coming in a fresh slate. It's like they're used to interacting with you in a certain kind of way. So there's a transitionary kind of thing. And, and maybe it starts small with more small initiatives that they can kind of implement. Um, and then it also on the leader side of things, after you've had a series of conversations to help really explain to them what you want them to be able to do, which is express and create. Um, that it is actually legitimately a little scary for you because part of your growth is to let go of the reins and empower more people. And like you're really even that upfront and vulnerable about it. There will be a buy in in time and then they can start to create. And I'll be honest with you, it's a good chance that the first stuff that they create is not great. That's right. Like it, it's not. And, 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 and just be wary to not receive that out of frustration, but out of gratitude that this is the start of the process of training your team now to step up and be powerful creators. And then I think at a certain level too, is once you have that stuff going, there are going to be 
there are tiers of people that you could hire to your team. And there are some people who are more naturally really great role players. And you have to have the vision to be putting them into roles where role playing is massively important. Uh, customer service, for example, like a certain kind of content creation. Like it's just an, you need someone who's dedicated an endless stream of continuously creating, but then hiring and looking for leadership level people. And that's going to be a combination of paying those people more because they're attracted by higher pay, but also by having a really powerful, compelling vision and track record. Like those two things can attract and keep higher level talent. And which is almost we're taking at, a stand, right? Like, yeah, it is. It's like it is. It's taking a stand. You all said. And I think for us is we've been able to bring a lot of people along. Like a lot of people I have working for me are people that have been working for me for years and years. And we didn't always have the amount to pay them like a shit ton, but all of their salaries have scaled like pretty substantially over the last four or five years. So you can grow people. And I think that might be the master skill of really good leaders is, is to be able to transmit vision, be able to delegate, have trust and faith, keep the strong container and empower people to do more things. And that is not easy. And I'm absolutely in the middle of that journey. And we all are in a certain sense. Um, but I think the people who are really successful as entrepreneurs, they've been doing it for 20, 30 years. They are masters at those skills. Yeah. Yeah. Leadership is, is often touted as like, you guys give the orders and deliver all these results. And in a lot of ways, it's a, it's a people program. You got to know your yeah. people and, and learn to lean in on people. And you can keep them accountable with numbers too. So there's a structure that whatever the structure you have is, you know, the accountability is what you can create a backboard because high performing people do want to have a scorecard yes. that they're accountable to. Yes. So that's something to know. Yeah. Sort of a, a carrot and stick, right? Yes, uh, totally. We're not using carrots or sticks, but there's <laughs> like a, a degree of accountability that a, a pursuant individual will ask for. And as leaders, if you don't give it to them, they will find someone that does. <laughs> yeah, well said. Like they they want to win. Um, it's it's so interesting that that taking a stand almost came back into that, right? That mm -hmm. that if you take a stand, you're more likely to attract people that will follow you in perpetuity and will help you build yes. and will express their ideas and will help you bring the vision to light. Um, how how would you say over the years you've changed going from like the doer to the dreamer. Because that, that process is a really awkward one for most people. Yeah. yeah, I think it's, well, it's actually like you are going to be the doer insofar as you're still deeply in your business and there are things that need to get done based on your effort. So you're still very much in the processes. And I'll say like, there are many things that I'm still very much in the processes of my business. I'm the front facing person that shoots videos for our YouTube channel. So I get into doer mode. And in fact, I batch out days where I'm doing doer type stuff. Mm. But those open days are days where I can step into the dreamer and have the space. And it's always about open calendar space and open time. Like the dreamer is not the one who's constrained with a deadline and a time pressure. The dreamer is the one that can get their brain and their nervous system into the relaxed open state to really tap in, to be able to create, to be more flowing. So I think it's like actually logistically, if you're still doing so many things where you're answering a shit ton of emails and then you have to do this in your business and fulfill this and then do the marketing, then make a social media post. Like that's a stage of business that is going to naturally constrain your thinking into that of a doer because you have so much going on and you need to execute. So part of that is peeling away, finding at least your first really key partner hire, like the first key person who can really help you out with operations or customer service or whatever's taking or social media, whatever's taking a lot of time. And then it's going to be a process of getting back your time and then creating more boundaries. I think the do, like the person who started the company already was a dreamer or you wouldn't have started the company. Like you had a dream, a vision for yourself, a vision for what you want to change and help in the marketplace. So it's there. You just then became the doer because you had to be a doer to get the dream to start. Nice. And now you have to actually get back to becoming the dreamer. And that comes through boundaries and that comes through teams. And that part of you is always there. It just has been kind of a little muddled with a bunch of activity. So it's kind of tactical. Like you just got to get your time and your schedule back, uh, which honestly means you're gonna have to confront your growth effort to go ahead and learn how to like hire and delegate and create processes and stuff that you maybe have been resistant to, but you'll realize that'll buy you back a lot of time. I have definitely been resistant to that kind of stuff. It, right? It's wildly uncomfortable to sit still For sure. and like, map out a process. Because you're like, I'm just, yeah, you're totally, totally. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, like there, there's a part of me that would rather have like a, 
like a hot ember pressed against my back while I walk uphill <laughs> naked in the snow for my like it just it's so painful to stop, but it is also the ticket to freedom, the ticket to dream yeah. more specifically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's wrap this with with one more question. Uh, you're going into 2024. We're uh, we're filming right before the turn of the new year. Do you do you assign like a theme to the new year? Um, I don't have it yet, but I typically do. Um, and I think I, I think it's going to be along the lines of honestly what we really deeply touched on is the stand messaging mm. mixed with the willingness to step into persecution, which is all one thing. It's like the, the whole map of like really taking a stand. Um, and I, the other thing that's becoming very present with me, and this has just been through my life experience, I'm not pushing any kind of spiritual belief on anyone, but I have developed a deep conviction, faith, and trust in my experience of God, which many people will call by many different labels, but the guiding force that is creating life, sustaining life, and meaningfully guiding me through my life. And one thing that comes present to me is to destroy all fear through faith in God, mm. which is my own internal connection and compass and to find the aspects of me where I still have fear and to grow past those, through those, to shine light into those dark corners through intense faith. Because I think the people who really do make the biggest difference are the people who believe in themselves the most. Um, and, and, and that even could be for, for ill. Like Hitler had a lot of self-belief. Like Mao, like whoever, like conquest dictators, like these people really believed in themselves. And through this, there's a lot of power. So imagine you listening to this, someone who is aligned with the forces of goodness in creation for yourself and for others, how can you cultivate more faith? And I think part of that is by stepping into the arena, by taking a stand. And then part of that is probably really tapping in even deeper internally to your root through silence, prayer, meditation, journaling, more feeling, creating more containers away from the business so you can really tap in and connect and then cultivate trust. And that's not to say that fear won't creep in, limiting beliefs won't creep in, but understand that these are old habits and patterns that were naturally developed through your experience and what you assign that experience and into the future that is necessarily going to be shed for you to become the next version. And so shining light into the fear, that, that seems like it's a big theme for me. And then the other thing for the business is, um, I'm going to do more. What I've found is that at least in these last couple months for our business, we went through November prep. We did like a fall sale into Black Friday, into New Year's. So it's Oof. been like, honestly, like four months of like the hardest press, like it's full court press, like basketball for like four months. <laughs> and okay. what I found though, is that in the pressure, I also had the most create creation that I've ever had. And it was of high quality, like not just like crap to do crap, but I think there's, and it, it, it made me realize there is a level of pace that I would not normally create, but I'm going to invite myself into my next level of productivity and not make it hard or stressful per se, but, you know, set more aggressive deadlines because I know I'm capable than more, a lot, a lot more than I've maybe done in the past. And then the final theme is leaning into community. And I think this is more of like a three or four year theme because the way I see things going, um, especially with, just technology, AI, the amount of content, different brands out there. It's, it's a, it, like we do need to play the content game to continue to be out there and like making a splash, sharing our messages. That's a part of like what it is to participate in the economy and attract people. But a lot of this stuff is going to become commoditized. Like I'm sure chat GPT will become a personal trainer in three years, mm -hmm. like answer every nutrition question probably even deeper than I can. And I'm an expert in the field with like over 20 years of experience, right? So that's just a kind of a reality of it. So what can't be disrupted? Human to human connection, at least in this stage in the game. So bringing people into deep relationships, into meaningful relationships, into communities with shared values. So like I'm leaning deep into that. More in-person events. Uh, getting our community, we just launched apps this year and got everyone into like off Facebook into their own community apps helping people connect live in person, doing more calls, like human-human connection is where I'm leaning into. And I think every business 
no matter what you do, can have a deeper level of that. And I actually think that in time, when you build a strong brand around that and people care, is the moat around your business, is your lasting power and your staying power. If you can get a tribe of people who deeply trust you, largely because you're authentic and providing an excellent level of service and value on a consistent basis, damn, you have a thing that you can pivot in a million directions and people will go with you until the end of your journey. And, and that's something that won't be disrupted. I don't have anything I could possibly add to that. If that doesn't inspire you to make your 2024 bigger, I don't know what will. Ugh. That was incredible. Thanks, bro. I love this combo. Very, very fun. <laughs> Man, I hope that if you're listening, wherever you are, that Dr. Anthony Balduzzi has just really ripped off your ceiling and has broken your identity that keeps you from taking a stand. And I really hope that this year is a productive, profitable movement into your own leadership. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from him. I hope you give him a follow. Pay attention if you are in need of a fitness program. He is the guy to to get behind. His programs are fantastic. Uh, where can they find you if they want to learn more? For sure. And and I think if you are interested in improving your fitness, I'll say it is a very powerful aspect of this experience of integrity and taking a stand. It's like the habits and how you tend to your body is you taking a stand for your energy, for your focus, for your well-being, for your confidence. Yep. And you will not be able to unlock the greatest power that you have until you move into full integrity. And that means body, mind, and spirit. Nice Alignment internally, clarity of mind and habits, and a healthy body. Like when those aspects are aligned, you are unlocked and powerful. So, mm. I mean, you'll, you'll probably, you, and this is why, I mean, I spent a lot of time talking about deep stuff today that's very true to me. We imbibe this into our fitness programs, but also know it's like very practical. Like here's your meal plan, here's the workouts. And like, yes. we just imbibe this deeper message into there. And so our two companies are Fit Father Project and Fit Mother Project. The URLs are exactly as they sound, fitfatherproject.com or fitmotherproject.com. On those sites, we have a bunch of free resources. Like if you want to test our stuff out, free meal plans and workouts. And the other place, if you are a person who likes videos, but don't get too distracted, is check out our YouTube channels. We have, I think between the two channels, close to a thousand videos for Fit Father, Fit Mother. Almost a million subscribers between the two. We have a lot of great stuff on there. And I think it's some people should check out because I, I have a lot of good helpful tips on there. But if you want to move into action, you know, join our programs. You will absolutely love it. So good, man. So good. I appreciate that we got meta and we got into the nitty gritty of things. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's just fitting, man. I, I know you've weathered a lot of change. It's been really fun to walk with you and, and also to, to feel like I'm not alone. And to go through my changes while you're going through your changes is something that is very special. So thank you for making for time sure. to, to share today was special. But the journey that we've been on, even more significant than that, means the world to me. Likewise, brother. Thanks so much.